0: All right, uh, and at, at God Speak, we, uh, we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, we sit for the word of the teacher. One we honor, the other we tolerate. So would you stand with me? I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. This uh, is a passage from our Anchored two-year through the Bible reading course. You can find it online at godspeak.com. You just go to Anchored, and then you can follow it. We've, I've been reading it. I pray all of you have as well. Pastor Rick on Saturdays has been teaching the New Testament segment. I've been touching on the Old Testament segment. This was one of the readings for the week. Deuteronomy 10. I'm going to pick up at verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, he is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. The two areas where we will focus on the two verses of the entirety of what we've read are these, Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. Lord, thank you for your word. It's all encompassing and it equips us for every need in life. It's true and it's living, it's breathing, it's sharpening a two edged sword, it divides our thoughts and our intents. Your word reads us. We don't read it in a sense. And God, we're grateful that it causes us to come alive. We know the truth and that truth sets us free. We're so grateful that you have given us this. And here we exercise that liberty and that freedom. No matter what man says, no one will separate us from worshiping our God and holding fast to the truths he's entrusted to us and proclaiming those. And Lord, we thank you, having given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so, Lord, as we examine your word this day, especially with the stranger, that we're to love them, that we're to care for them, that the, the Israelites were strangers in the land of Egypt. And God, you've called us to love the stranger, to give them food and clothing. So, God, would you clarify all that for us today in a season in our lives where it seems as though the whole nation is confused, would you bring clarity by the truth of your word? God, thank you for all who are present, those who have never darkened the doors of a church but are here today, and Lord, they're just moved, and I just pray you'd minister to them. Do what no man can do. Holy Spirit, please, I pray you'd touch them and minister to them, and Lord, we thank you. So we give this entire time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll have a seat if you would. Obviously, as we're looking at this passage in Deuteronomy, which also reflects out of Second Chronicles, it's a passage of Scripture that is thrust into our face by pastors across the country declaring that God is a God of open borders, that we are to love the stranger and give them food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt and so, based on this and Second Chronicles, we have pulpits in America declaring that open borders are necessary. I've also attached to it through uh, a conversation that I had the last couple days uh, via email with a friend of mine, who was contemplating a, a national article. Att- Attacking Unconditional Love and its non-existence in the scripture. And I'm in full agreement with him. Some of you are like, wait, what? Yeah, and so I've titled this in a special way to turn all of you off. (laughs) Unconditional love and open borders are not in the Bible. Just wait a minute until you kind of can grasp that because a lot of you have been triggered. Just calm down and give it a minute. We're going to get through this. What do you mean unconditional love isn't in the Bible? It isn't. Yeah, there's passages that are unbelievable in declaring the love of God, but it's all based on condition. What about John 3.16? Which is where Ryan and the group gets their name, the whosoevers. Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not... Perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's amazing love, but it comes with a condition. The condition is God gave. What did God give? His Son. Why did he give his Son? To die. I. I, I I know it's Communion Sunday. You're you're holding the representation of the brutality of his body broken and his blood shed. The condition that had to be met for us to have access was sin had to be, the penalty of sin had to be paid. He gave his son. The condition was his son had to die. We get to live. You have access to it. And then there's a further condition. You must believe and receive. And that comes with conditions. It's an exchange of love. The love is conditional. It always is. And somewhere in the late part of the 19th century, probably around actually the 1970s, this this term unconditional love started to infiltrate our society. And it's, it's directed the way that we operate, and the churches seem to have been poisoned by it. And we, we hear this term over and over again, love is love. What does that mean? Well, it means that you have to love me the way I am. I love you in spite of the way you are. I love you so much that I'm not going to stand and allow you, uh, I'm going to stand in defense of those things that will allow you freedom to no longer be bound by that which is destroying you. I love you so much that I, I'm, I'm willing to, I, I, you know, I discipline my children because I love them. The Lord chastens those he loves. Well, if it's unconditional, why wouldn't God just let us stay the way we are? Unconditional love for your husband, ladies? Unconditional love, I I have unconditional love for everyone. And my, my husband has unconditional love for other women and I unconditionally love him. No, you don't. No, you don't. Does anyone understand the stupidity of that statement? Let's just look at the word unconditional. Not subject to any conditions. There's conditions. The conditions must be met, not only if you want to immigrate, but also if you want to enter into his kingdom. Oh, by the way, heaven has walls. And and it and you're you're welcome to come in. It's access to come in. Hell has walls so that nobody can leave. One enslaves, the other defends and protects. If boundaries and walls are evil, then why would Nehemiah build them? And why are there governments? Well, God in the Noahic covenant in Genesis established governments. Also, we find in the book of Acts that there's only one race, and I know immediately that, that I'm going to be dismissed as a racist. By the way, if you have to attach color to anything you're saying, you're the racist, God creates one race. Now, there's ethnicities. Acts 17, he is made from one blood, every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and, oh, boundaries, (laughs) of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Paul is writing this in, Cor- um, in Athens. Uh, I think it's at the Areopagus, uh, and he's, he's uh, contending with their temples for their many gods, and he's talking about a, one mark to the unknown god, and he uses that as his introduction, Mars Hill. But the point is, he's saying there's one race, there's one blood, there's, there's boundaries, there's many ethnicities. Um. And, and, and it's like when you drive over the grapevine in the spring and you see all the flowers and they're manifest in, 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 in manifold colors and they're beautiful. They're yellow and orange and purple and just, it's, it's stunning. It's like a, a tapestry and none of those flowers are arguing over their color. <laughs> and we've been created in the image of God and, and that word is Elohim which means unified diversity or singular plurality and 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 you look at the at the manifold identity of God and it's 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 beautiful and it's complex and it's it's diverse but it's also unified and and yet we we have something that nothing in all creation has and that's sin sin is rebellion sin is i don't want to live by your rules and now i'm going to be in charge and so we, we take what God's created and we divide it and we attack based on a melanin content or the lack thereof. And even if we had a magic wand and made everyone the same amount of melanin, we would still divide over the color of our eyes. Did you see the way that the blue eyes were looking at me? <laughs> because we're selfish. We have a sin nature. Sin is it is disobedience to what God desires for man, and it's systemic. Sin is systemic. We're born with it. Kind of like a genetic disease. It's infiltrated the world, and, and sin has caused disease, and people die, and evil exists, and, and we blame God. Insurance companies. The only thing that's not covered are acts of God. What is that, a baby being born? No, 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 that's not an act of God. An act of God is like hurricanes and disasters, plagues. What about, you know, his his law establishing culture and blessing people? Well, that may be an act of God. What about the laws you follow? Those are given by him. We blame God when life is bad and we, we hold him... Uh, accountable like we're upset with him and, and he owes us an explanation and I get that a lot of folks you've lost loved ones and you didn't understand it and Ted Turner who started CNN could he became an atheist because he, he said I prayed for my brother to be healed and he wasn't now was it I was done with God why would he allow death well if he's to remove the cause of sickness and the cause of death that means he has to remove sin and the source of sin and that's sinner's But he allows us to exist in order to repent and be reconciled that the conditions be met that we can once again have life and life more abundant. It's conditional. And and borders are of the Lord. There's there's no open borders in the Bible. Leviticus says in 19, if a stranger dwells with you in your land, and this this is the verse that that all the woke churches in America declare the necessity of open borders, and they quote this ad nauseam. And if a stranger dwells with you in your land and you shall not mistreat him, the stranger who dwells among you, you shall be to you as one born among you and you shall love him as yourself for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I'm the Lord your God. You shall do no injustice in judgment In measurement of length, weight, or volume, you shall have honest scales, honest weights, honest ephah, and an honest hin. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. I am the Lord. And that's Deuteronomy. And I told folks, read this book. It's fascinating. It's an awakening to the responsibility we have that we observe this not because we have to, but because we get to and we love him. And it's not out of obligation, but out of adoration. And... The Pentateuch speaks of what needs to be implemented in our culture that we've abandoned because we think it's unconditional love and God saves us and we get to stay the way we are and he loves us enough not to leave us in that mess. And we we love to be forgiven and we love to be cleansed and we love to, to be set free. And Then we just return to the same vomit we were eating before. The Bible says as a dog returns to its vomit, so a man returns to his sin. I didn't write that, he did. And you can get that picture, it's nauseating. I've seen dogs do that, they're like bat, oh hey, Fred," and you're just watching that and you're like gag a maggot, you just, you can't even, and I can go worse, I can really make you sick, but I'm gonna leave it alone. Amen. Second Chronicles 6.32, interestingly enough, moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel but has come from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand, O God, and your outstretched arm when they come and pray in this temple. You see, interesting thing about the stranger and the word used in scripture and the ones that many of these woke churches try to justify open borders by King Solomon in Second Chronicles that we just read repeated, if a sojourner comes to the land because of our God and prays in the temple then welcome them in To be welcome, immigrants must submit, not rebel. Fear God and not fight for atheism or Allah. You see, Islam is a political structure disguised as a religion. Atheism is a religion disguised as a, well, secular progressivism is a religion disguised as a political process. That's why they friend each other Islam is Sharia law. It's, it's contradictory to our Constitution and our Declaration of Independence. It it demands adherence. Or death. That doesn't, that doesn't bode well here. And that's why it's not acceptable. Isaiah 1 7 says, Your country is desolate, your cities are burned with fire. Strangers. Devour your land in your presence and it is desolate. It's overthrown by strangers. Same word, stranger. Is it? No. God uses another Hebrew word for stranger, zer, which means an enemy or one who who would not assimilate and who hated the God of heaven because Israel would not obey God on matters of borders and immigration and point people to the God of heaven. Isaiah said that God would use these strangers as judgment. They would desolate the land, burn the cities with fire, and overthrow the nations. There's a horrible price to pay for wrongly interpreting God's word. You see, without borders there's no order, no law, no justice. Without borders, God's promises to bless the nation whose God is the Lord could never occur. God's plan of redemption revolves around nations. In time God will judge all nations who reject him. It is and is it any wonder that the coming antichrist and globalists demand open borders? chaos anybody here when you go to bed at night lock your doors in your house of course you do Washington has really become fond of walls and and guns and all the ones that want to take away our defense have guns surrounding them Why do we defend our home? Because we want to keep the stranger who seeks ill out. We welcome people who want to adhere and be a part of what we believe. You see, if borders or walls are immoral, as even some religious leaders contend, these woke churches around America, then Nehemiah was wrong, and even more so, God himself is wrong. Because heaven has walls and gates, and Jesus says that whoever circumvents one gate and climbs in another way is a thief and a robber. Jesus said that. I didn't. I agree with it. But if you're upset about it, take it up with him. Good luck with that. <laughs> borders are essential to nations. In fact, the definition of nation includes a common language, a common view of God, and, a co- and common borders. Borders. God's blessings and judgments are bestowed on individuals and nations. Therefore, borders and border control are essential to protect the nation's citizens and should rise to the highest of concern for those in civil authority. Additionally, this immigration controversy is not only political but moral. The scripture passage most used to justify open borders and weak immigration policies is, again, as I read earlier, Leviticus 19.34 where God commanded Israel to welcome the stranger or the sojourner as one who's native-born, by itself, this verse sounds compelling and unconditional. But it is not. The Hebrew word for stranger in this text isn't zur, it's ger, and it means the immigrant wanting to assimilate, honor the conditions, to embrace the God of Israel and their laws. Therefore, we can ask again, is it moral to deny access to some would-be immigrants? Does God's word provide clarity? The answer is yes. Our government has a unique duty to God and to citizens. One might even call it a moral duty, different from the church. Uh, duty to care for the sick and reach out to those who don't yet know God of, the God of heaven. Government's duty, according to Romans thirteen, is to enact justice, enforce the law, protect the citizen. This is why God provided civil government with the sword of justice, execute wrath on those who would do evil. This is, in part, why we are to pray for those in authority uh, out of Timothy that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence because they are accountable to God. These authorities, they're accountable to God. It's critical. And God wants this. You see, the stranger is one who wants to assimilate and meet the conditions of the nation. The conditions of our nation found in our birth certificate and also our articles of incorporation, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. And they're endowed by their creator. Creator with certain unalienable rights, among those being life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. For this reasons, government was in, were instituted among men for the preservation of that. And when the government's failed to do that, it's our right and our duty to get another form of government that would protect that. That is why we are who we are. And then there's articles, seven of them, in a constitution A statute, an immovable structure that all who call this home must agree to. And those who govern by our consent swear to defend that. And there's 27 amendments that declare these rights to every individual and the sovereign in the nation is we the people. And the folks in Sacramento or even over there in Ventura or even in the City Hall or even in Washington, D.C., governed by our consent, their power's on loan. We're the sovereign. They're bound by that. They swear to defend it. And when they don't, it's our right and our duty to remove them. And they must be held accountable for the decisions that they make when they open the border and it's like throwing sand through a chain link fence. It's porous and it's destroying our economy. Our, our employers, our business owners can't find anyone to hire because most of our folks are on unemployment, getting more money than they get hourly. It's causing us to go into unbelievable debt. We're flooding our, our nation with folks that are in desperate need and we're already overwhelmed our debt is overwhelming. Our inflation is rising rapidly. Our taxes are burdensome. I'm surprised any of you are still here in California. I mean, seriously, I think California tax code, when you do your taxes, it's like, what did you make last year? Send it in. Yeah, that's, <laughs> just make it simple, you know, just. And yet, Churches say open borders, and they don't read the scriptures. And this, this immigration, it, it dominates the news. It divides our nation, but, but God's not confused. He never has been. He's not confused in any way, shape, or form. God provided civil government with the sword of justice, and, and it's, it's important that we enforce an immigration policy that focuses on assimilation, that you must meet these conditions. Immigration is not unconditional. There are borders for a reason. And that's what the Bible speaks of. But then you're saying, well, wait a minute, Pastor, what about that opening tagline you gave of, of the title, Open Borders and Unconditional Love Are Not in the Bible? What about John 3.16? Well, there you go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in, believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's conditional. The condition was God loves, but he's also just. The penalty must be paid. God loves you, and the penalty that separates you from him is sin. The wage of sin, the penalty of sin, is death. The condition must be met. God gave His Son and met that condition. You hold in your hand or it's next to you in your seat, the bread and the cup, the body was broken, the blood was shed to meet that condition. To have access to the Father that you would believe and receive. And in receiving, It's a life change. You come in agreement. It's a transaction. Christ's death on the cross was sufficient for all the world's sins, but only efficient for those who would receive and believe. That would agree to the condition. The condition is he will be your Lord. You will be his servant. He redeemed you from the slave block of sin. People wanted to say that it's not a sin, it's a choice. It's a choice that you just can't seem to stop, even if you wanted to. You found yourself trying to do everything but the Lord, trying to live your life apart from Him, and all that's left you is emptiness and anxiety. Broken families and dreams. Your body's breaking down. You're finding yourself more and more isolated and empty. Even running your life on your own terms. Now you're tired. It's harder than you thought. And you want to come back. You want something more. You're here. And God has given you access because He covered the condition to allow you to to come. He's paved the way. He paid the price to remove the barrier. The condition was met. But now the responsibility is yours. Believe and receive. And that's a transaction. I give you my life, it's like marriage. I give you my life. Then we spend the rest of the marriage trying to dig it back. And when we do wrong, we say, well, you're supposed to love me unconditionally. What does that mean? I can't think of anything more stupid. Everything comes with conditions. You know, I I look at Ryan Reese and and I'm, I'm so impressed with that man. But I remember the stories early on Raul Reese is a bit older than I am and he was one of the original Calvary pastors. And I remember Don McClure and Raul Reese; they were contemporaries and still are. And their children all struggled in that early stage of the Calvary movement. And I remember saying to the Lord when I joined staff, I, I just said, God, please don't let that happen to my kids. And... And the Lord honored that and I asked him and, and I, I realized I was a husband and a father before I was a minister and if I'm not ministering to my wife and my kids, I have no business ministering to any of you. Beware of the barrenness of a busy life. And if I'm in a meeting with you or you're in my office and, and you know, I'm casting out a demon and, and you're crawling on the ceiling <laughs> and my wife calls to see what I want for dinner, guess what? I'm taking the call. I'll, I'll deal with that later, <laughs> or not at all. You know, so. but that's always that's always been my great joy because I, I I was called to that ministry before I was called to you, and and he knows that. And and if I if I I can't take you where I'm, I I won't go myself. And if some of you are upset because I don't have more time with you, and why is it, you know, and and how come your wife isn't with you? She has one title. She's my wife. She's, she's nothing else. She's not your small group women's ministry leader. If she wants to do that, that's great. And my kids, I always told them this, you know, pastor's kids. Like, you're going to judge my kids as though they're somehow supposed to be special. Pastor Rob's kids, I got news for you. They're just as rotten as yours. <laughs> so find another standard. And and I've never put that pressure on my kids. I'm the pastor of the church. You shouldn't be acting this way. Are you kidding me? You just shouldn't be acting this way, even if I'm whatever. If I'm a bum on the street, this is unacceptable. There's no, that's just, that was never a part of it for us. And my wife was brilliant that way, and, and God gave her discernment. And this idea of unconditional love is so silly. I mean, think if you were an employer. One of my Dear friends who sent me an article that they're putting forward, they asked me to kind of review it, and I, I was kind of taken aback by it, but then there was parts of it that touched me, and I, I, I read it, and I, I love what they said. They said, what if you had unconditional salaries? People believe they will receive the same salary no matter how well or poorly they do their work, they're hardly likely to to work hard the fact that they could be fired is precisely what prevents most people from slacking off second problem is that paying the same salary to the lazy and the careless worker as to the hard worker and responsible one is unfair and it would undermine morale in the workplace now substitute love for salary imagine if everyone received the same amount of love no matter how terribly or beautifully they acted Why wouldn't that create the same problem as unconditional salaries? Think about it. If we gave everyone the same amount of love, no matter how they behaved, what would motivate anyone to behave better, and would it be fair? If kind, self-sacrificing, responsible people were to receive no more love than narcissists, murderers, and thieves, the world would be a very unfair place. Unconditional love is no more desirable, no more fair, no more... Goodness inducing than unconditional salary. And yet, remarkably, unconditional love has become the great human and even divine ideal. This is, an, this is uh, actually a recent development. Google charts the use of the word in terms in books from the beginning of the 19th century until the present. And, and not until the 1970s, a term almost never appeared in the English language books, and then it was everywhere. They write, what is particularly interesting about this is, is that in America, as America became less religious, usage of the term sword, this should help dispel the widespread notion that unconditional love is a religious ideal. It isn't. In a lifetime of teaching from the scriptures, I have never come across the concept of unconditional love. In fact, God makes it clear that his love is conditional on obeying him. For example, he tells the Israelites, if you will obey me faithfully, and we read that, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession, if, that's the condition. And the book of Psalms makes this even clearer. God hates all who do wrong. Obviously, if God hates all who do wrong, he doesn't give unconditional love. As for Christianity, in that sense, many Christians assert that unconditional love is the ideal to aspire to, yet this author says, I could I could not find a single direct statement about unconditional love, divine or human, in the New Testament. As a Canadian Christian pastor and theologian, George Sinclair wrote, the Bible does not teach that God loves unconditionally or that you should love unconditionally. Unconditional love is simply a bad idea. If people are loved, no matter how immorally they act, love becomes the one thing in life that is completely divorced from morality. Unconditional love makes love amoral. Furthermore, What means more to you, someone who loves you because they love everyone unconditionally or someone who loves you because they consider you special? Unconditional love will often lead to very unloving behavior. If husbands and wives, for example, know they will receive the same amount of love no matter how they treat their spouses, do you think it's likely to lead to better or worse behavior? Many people respond, don't parents have unconditional love for their children? Isn't that the ideal? I want to address that. Yes. I would think that would be the case. I have five children. They all walk with the Lord. We had a blip on the screen with one of them. That was my middle child, Natasha. We adopted her when she was 12 from Russia. She didn't speak any English. And I remember... I had a love for her. I don't know how to describe it to you. I just know God gave it to me. My kids first made us aware of her saying, Daddy, can we adopt her? They met her at a vacation Bible school with all the Russian orphans that were there. And I just, I looked at my girls. I go, she's not a puppy. (laughs) We brought her to the house and I loved her smile and her giggle and her laugh. And, and Michelle and I, our hearts were yielded to God's word for the orphan. We Wanted, wanted to open our home and to yield to his commands to love the widow and the orphan. And God gave us a love for her and we invited her to come and we, we wanted to adopt her. She was tough. She went off the rails. She went dark for a while. We adopted her when she was 12, about 18, 17 or 18. She really went off the deep end. And, and I remember the night that I finally had a, uh, approached her and I said, You know, there's conditions in the home. Imagine that. You know, the old Danish proverb is when you give to a pig when it squeals or a child when it cries, you'll end up with a fat pig and a rotten child. <laughs> and, and, and we had conditions in our home for our children, there, there, were, there were do's and don'ts. And she struggled over those. And, and, and I, I would watch her come home every night and she'd, she'd been drinking and partying. And, and my house, we don't subsidize that. I love her so much that I, I wouldn't enable that. It's not loving for you to give money to somebody who's gonna put it in their nose. Do you understand that? You're not helping them. You're killing them. It may make you feel better. And I said, you can't live here and do that. Pastor, that's conditional love. Amen. I want her to live. So I said, you got to make your choice, kiddo. You're an adult now. That means you're accountable to the law. You're accountable to God. You're not going to find shelter while you're in rebellion to God. Not in this home. And she said, I'm leaving. And I said, I understand. And she packed her jalopy and she was moving down to Oxnard. For those of you from there, it's not an insult. <laughs> but I did say to her, some people spend their whole life trying to get out of Oxnard. You're moving into it. I mean, it. Wasn't the good part of Oxnard. Forgive me for those of you who insult and she said, Dad, I have to do this. And I understood because I was like her. I was experiential. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I understood it. She just had to go and see if there's anything better. And I told her, I said, The only thing you owe us is that if you find anything better than Jesus out there, you got to come tell me. And doggone it, she didn't try. And she went, and it was, it was hard. Love costs you something. Love is sacrificial, love requires obedience, love requires truth. Love is painful. And there are conditions. And we stood upon those and we, we, we held fast. There was always access back, but there were conditions. And, and it was awful. And I remember she called and she said, Dad, can I get some money, can I borrow some money? Or, and I, and, and, and I, I said, no, that's hard for me. Money's easy, I just said no. I said, but the house is still here. There's a roof and there's three meals and there's a bed and there's conditions and we're waiting for you. And she hung up. And then fear, the enemy saying, your judgment is going to kill her. And the sleepless nights, Michelle and I would be overwhelmed. Then the phone goes dead. Then the lies and the whispers that You're responsible for what's gonna happen to her and you're gonna hear from the coroner and and you'll see her dead because you didn't do anything. And then the phone rang and she says, Daddy, I wanna come home. And it was the Sunday, it was Monday following the Sunday when Teen Challenge was here and I just said, God, if you can save these gals, you can save Natasha. And she called. And I had been praying. I don't know why that prayer all of a sudden got through, but he, 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 I'm kidding, but he... he, (laughs) He wanted to change me, and he did. Yeah, I did mean, you can clap for that. And the Lord, the Lord uh, brought her home, and I said, sweetie, you're going you're gonna to try again to live by the conditions, and you're going to struggle, and then you're going to leave again. These rules are burdensome for anyone who has a sin nature and a rebellious heart. I said, the only way you're gonna enjoy this is that Christ become the Lord of your life because these are his rules. We live because he's our Lord and this is his house. He, he runs the place. And, and you, you need to reformat your life. You need to have a relationship with the Lord. And, 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 I, and I said, why don't you go to Teen Challenges? It's not a drug and rehab, it's, it's a discipleship. It's where they, they give you a basic understanding of a, of a relationship with God where he becomes your Lord. And, and I said, and it's hard, because you've got to live by rules. You're going to get, you're be in Compton, and you're going to have to make your bed and be up every day, and you've got to be in the Bible, and, and you, you, you have to do these things, and they're going to give you chores. And then when you do well, then you get to go to Ohio, and it's resplendent, and still chores and busy, and you're going to do it for a year. She said, Dad, if it means knowing the Lord like you and Mom know him, I want it. And willingly she went, and willingly she stayed, and She had a bus ticket, she could have left anytime she wanted to. But she agreed to the conditions that God, I give you my life, and that means it's no longer mine." That was the condition that was met. I wrote to the friend who wrote this article. I said, "I, I love and agree with what you're wanting to communicate, and I get it. This, this article is going to be problematic for Christian audiences. They're going to struggle. The idea being that for God to reconcile himself to sinful man, justice had to be served and the penalty paid. So true love has conditions and those conditions are primarily obedience, sacrifice, and truth. It is true that the New Testament declares for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Yet even in that most famous verse, justice was the condition for God's unconditional love. The dispensing of blessing comes only with obedience. Love is the source of that blessing and the condition to receive it is obedience. The punishment of disobedience to God's law is also an act of love. The condition of this love is corrective and just. Most parents know this. You've raised kids, you know that, that you need to tell them right from wrong. We're stewards of their lives. It's the wise restraints that make men free. God's laws are not cumbersome. And when you come to Christ and you you respond to his love, that love that was provided to you by the condition that was met by the father who gave his son, who paid the penalty, the condition needing to be met, that blood must be shed. It was his son who was broken and bled. To give you access to that love and that forgiveness. And the condition is this. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's the condition. He's in charge now. He's your Lord. You don't just get your get out of hell free card. It's his home. you his child. These are his his commandments, this is his word. It's not legalism. It, you don't observe it to be saved. You observe it because you are saved. It doesn't save you. It preserves, but it doesn't save. And you don't, you don't keep the law because you have to. You, you, you keep the law because you get to. It's not out of obligation. It's out of adoration. I love my wife. I adore her. When she wants me to do things that are contrary to what men want to do, like pick up their clothes, I do it because I love her. I do. Sometimes I don't. The idea is God who began a good work is faithful to complete it. Deuteronomy, I'm almost finished. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God, and this is from the passage in our anchored reading, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep The commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. We studied the Ten Commandments last week for your children. They're they're to be instilled in their lives and in yours. We looked at the two great commandments. We saw Foster's life. These are not suggestions. God wants us to have life and life more abundant. And these commands are not burdensome. They're life-giving. Our community, our culture needs them, immigration specifically. We need to know this and be able to articulate it and to live by it. We have to study. We have to do work. We have to stand. We're in his home. Jesus says, my father loves me because I obey him. This obedience is the idea that I'm in agreement, I'm in alignment let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you, having the same love, being of like mind. I agree with everything you're saying, and I want it. I want it for me. I want it for my, my family. I want it for my city. I want it for my state, and I want it for my nation, and I want it for the world, because these are restraints that set people free. These are restraints that give life and life more abundant. These are restraints that allow us to deal with the, the, the systemic misery of sin, And God, thank you that the condition was met. It cost you everything. And the condition for me on my end is an exchange. The penalty's paid, now I give you my life. I live by your rules. I'm no longer afraid and everything I have is yours. And you're now in charge. And I'll close with this last thought. You know my story, but it's a good one. When I was at lifeguard, and, and there were guys that were getting sucked out in the ocean, and they were wearing Raiders outfits, and I was a Charger fan, I'm like, let them drown. <laughs> and I wasn't a believer, and we were t- telling them to come in, and we were doing it over the radio, and, it was, and they, they, they were flipping us off. I'm like, just go. And I was cold, we'd been doing rescues all day, the water was awful. I was shivering. It was at the end of the day, and they're flipping me off. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to tell them. And then all of a sudden, they get sucked out, and the tower says go. I'm upset. I was going to say pissed, but that's not a word, Pastor, you shoot. And I, I, I hit the Peterson tube. I put it on my chest. I'm going out there. Water's cold. I'm shivering. I'm putting my fins on. I'm just angry. I go through the surf, and it's just sucking this guy out. He's heavy set. He's wearing a Raiders outfit. It's like, and he's, he's so exhausted. He exhausted he's purple he looks like Barney and I get out to him I'm like here grab the tube let's go in he goes I don't need that I'm not allowed to leave because that's my job so I'm shivering floating on the tube looking at this guy what we call climb the ladder and he's just and he can't he's just worthless and all the people on the shore are laughing at him all his friends and finally, you know, he just he swallows some water. Something he starts coughing and panics. He goes, I need the tube. Uh, help, help me. I go, you say please. <laughs> He's like, what? I go, you say please. I've been sitting out here. I knew you needed to be saved. And you have been worried about the people on the shore more than you're concerned with the guy who came out. And the condition was, humble yourself and grab the tube. But you're too prideful. And I had to sit out here and freeze to death while you had to get your wits about you. Now say please. He's like, please. I go, good. And I hooked him up. I wasn't a Christian then, so bear with me. <laughs> the condition had been met. I'm in charge. I'll take you in. I know how to save you. I knew you needed to be saved. And your pride kept you from that. Now you're desperate. But I have news for you God's far more merciful and kind. In his voice, he says, come to me. All you are burdened, heavy laden. You're drowning. The condition has been met on my end. Now, the condition needs to be met on your end. Am I in charge from here on out? Are you ready for me to save you and take you where you need to go? If that's your heart, and that cup is in your hand, that's the transaction because his condition was paid. His body was broken. His blood was shed. The condition's been met. When you take that cup and you ingest it and you declare he is now the chairman of the board. He is now your Lord. His word is not a burden. It's a privilege. And it's a joy to obey his commands because we love him When we give him our life, you saved me. And I will go with you wherever you take me. And I got that guy safely to shore, amen. Lord, thank you that you are our savior. You're my savior, You are not just my savior. You are my God. You are my Lord. Your command is my privilege and joy. It is not an obligation, but an adoration. It's a privilege. It's not burdensome. It brings life. Lord, we do love you, and you declare in your word that if we love you, we'll obey you. God, you met the condition for the propitiation for our sins and you say, love one another as I have loved you. You loved us, you gave yourself for us and we get to love others by giving ourselves for them, denying ourselves. And so Lord, please, I pray that as we take communion together as a body of believers, that we understand the condition of our transaction for you have met yours. And today, Lord, as we take this cup, we declare you our Savior and our Lord. And your word is our joy to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. As they worship, you'll take the communion, the bread first, the cup second. The body had to be broken before the blood could be shed. That's the order, but if you screw it up, you're still going to heaven. But this is, this is you, You, Christ has met that condition. Now it's yours. You ingest it. You've given him your life. He's Lord. That condition's been met. Give him your life and watch what he does with it from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.